Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I need a prayer request. It is, I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. I'm here with you today to take your calls and texts live on the air. This is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible or anything going on in your life that you'd like to talk about or receive prayer for. We would love to hear from you. We'd love to pray for you and We'd love to hopefully answer some of your questions about the Bible and things going on in your life. We want to welcome those of you who are listening in Colorado and Wyoming on Grace FM. You're hearing this show live today. And actually, interesting thing, this is our last live show of the year and of the decade. So, really cool. So, there are going to be some more shows going on but they're going to be encore shows that we've recorded a lot of the staff at uh, grace fm and a lot of the pastors who do it we are taking some time off until the end of the year we'll begin again in january with live shows but just so you know this is your last opportunity this year to call in with your prayer requests and your questions about the bible we're standing by to take those calls and to take those prayer requests the number to call is 303-690-3000 it's 303 303- Six nine zero three thousand, or text us at seven two zero three three six zero eight nine seven. The text line seven two zero three three six zero eight nine seven. Once again, so today your final chance in this year and this decade to call in and listen live. Um, we want to welcome those of you who are tuning in live. Uh, those of you on Grace FM, up and down the Front Range of the Rockies, as well as those of you who are listening online and on our website. You know, you guys are also hearing this show live. And, hey, I just want to give another plug. If you don't have the Grace FM app on your mobile device or your tablet, what are you doing? you got to go get it. Just go over there right now. Go get it in your app store. You just open your app store, type in Grace FM. It's one word, you know, no spaces. And it will come right up. It's a free app. You put it on your device. And then on the go, as you travel, whatever you are doing, you're able to pull that up and you're able to listen uh, to this program as well as all the other uh, great programs that are here on Grace FM, all the good Bible teaching. And you're able to do that anywhere you are in the world. And you can also do it on our website. You know, you can go in your browser to gracefm.com and you can tune in there live as well. We're also, we also want to greet those of you who are listening on the East Coast on, Pen, on, in, on Hope FM in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Maryland, as well as on Truth FM in Tennessee and parts of North Carolina and Kentucky. We're just so blessed to see how this show is growing. This family of people who tune into this program is growing um, around the world and around the country. And we're so glad to be syndicated on these stations. Just a reminder for you who are listening on Hope FM and Truth FM that you are hearing the program on a one-week delay. So it's not live for you, but what we would like you to do is we'd love for you to call in and we'll get you on the air and then you'll have the unique opportunity where you can tune in a week later and listen to yourself, maybe tell your family and friends, hey, I was on the radio and you can tune in and hear me at this time. 
So a big hello to all of you who are tuning in online and on the website, on Hope FM, on Truth FM, and here in Colorado on Grace FM. Welcome to the program. Again, this is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible or anything going on in your life that you'd like prayer for. We'd love to hear from you. Give us a call, 303-690-3000. 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Uh, we have some international listeners. I was just looking at this. We have some listeners right now tuning in in um, Ukraine, South Korea, and many places around the United States from Hawaii all the way to the East Coast. So, so cool to see in a live view of um, who's tuning in internationally. Love doing that every week. Uh, we have some calls coming in already, but before we go to them, I'll just give you a few words about myself. Um, my name is Pastor Nick Cady. I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church, which is located in Longmont, Colorado. We're a church that loves Jesus. We love to study the Bible verse by verse and chapter by chapter, book by book. Um, we are associated with the Calvary Chapel family of churches, and we meet in downtown Longmont. And so if you are in Longmont or in the general area within driving distance of Longmont, we would love to have you come and worship with us sometime on a Sunday morning. And if you're not in Longmont, but you know people who live in this area, kind of the Boulder, northern Colorado area, we would love it if you would send them our way so that they can become part of what God's doing at Whitefields. You can find more information about us, our location, our contact info, all that good stuff. You can listen to our sermons online. That website is whitefieldschurch.com. That's our church website, whitefieldschurch.com. We meet in the St. Vrain Memorial Building in downtown Longmont. The address is 700 Longs Peak Avenue, and we're just one block west of Main Street on Longs Peak Avenue. So really the heart of the city. We're just on the um, southern eastern edge of Roosevelt Park, and we're on the northwest corner of Longs Peak and Kaufman, and we're just to the direct south of the downtown park and ride. Our services are at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings, but tomorrow is Christmas Eve. And we are having two services on Christmas Eve. And if you are looking for a place to celebrate Christmas Eve, we would love for you to come and celebrate with us. We have two services in the evening, 5 p.m. and 6.30 p.m. So 5 p.m. and 6.30 p.m. Directions and everything can be found on our website, whitefieldschurch.com, or you can just punch it into your GPS, 700 Longs Peak Avenue, Longmont, Colorado. And we'd love to have you. So it's 5.30, I'm sorry, 5 o'clock and 6.30 p.m. are our service times. And we'll be having, we have a special, you know, Christmas choir that comes together. And I love what they do because when I was a kid, there was a choir in my church and I was not super excited about it. But this choir sings, you know, much more contemporary stuff. So I'm really excited about our church's choir. Our music director, uh, worship pastor, has been doing just such an amazing job uh, preparing for Christmas. I'm really excited about it. And then we'll have a message called, um, In Thy Dark Streets Shineth. And we'll be talking about the coming of Jesus as the light of the world to save us from our greatest enemies, sin, death, and the devil. It's going to be a great time. You know, I heard a statistic that said something wild, like 80 or 90% of people who receive a personal invitation to church on Christmas Eve would be willing to go. So this means like people who never go to church throughout the year, it's the one time a year when they're, they're willing to go. And a lot of times the only thing that stands in the way of them actually going is um, they're waiting for somebody like you to invite them personally. And so this is like, 
you know, for those of you who don't like to fail at things, maybe you're like, well, I don't, I don't invite people to come with me to church because I don't like it if they say no, etc. Well, this is like, this is almost too easy, right? It's like shooting fish in a barrel. All you got to do is ask them and there's a really good chance that they're going to say yes. And so I want to encourage you that wherever you're going to go to church tomorrow on Christmas Eve to take somebody with you, invite somebody and don't just uh, tell them where it's going to be, but invite them to come with you. Maybe pick them up at their house or, or drive in a caravan together, but go together. It's a really, really great opportunity that we have um, to get people out to hear a great message, the message of the gospel this Christmas Eve. We'd love to have you at Whitefields if, if you're in our area near Longmont. And if not, then I hope that you will go to a great local church near you that champions Jesus and preaches the gospel. Hey, you can also hear us every weekday. Just a heads up that you can find our sermons here on Grace FM every weekday, 2.30 p.m. So that's kind of drive time for school pickup, as well as Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. So if you are not able to be in church for some reason on a Sunday morning, just tune into Grace FM and you'll hear us at 10 a.m. On Sunday mornings. Let's go ahead and go to our callers. Looks like we've got full lines right now. Let's go to Rudy in Denver. Hi, Rudy. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I have a quick question about uh, um, speaking for myself. Going to I'm a Christian man and going into a uh, you know attending a Christian um, a Catholic mass. Mm-hmm. I've been you know my grand we go, I go with my grandmother every every Christmas Eve. And she's Catholic. Um, how how does how was that looked upon? Yeah, so I'll just tell you my perspective on this. I grew up uh, similarly, where my um, my grandparents on one side um, were Catholic, and so I, you know, it's one of my memories growing up. Is we go to midnight mass. I love staying up till midnight. I you know as a kid and going to midnight mass with grandma. Here's here's my take on this. I think that you, as a Protestant, you know, you can go to that Catholic Mass and you can spit out the seeds. And you can do it for the sake of your grandmother. Here's the thing that I would encourage you to do. Point your grandma to Jesus. You know, for a lot of people who grew up Catholic, and I say this coming from a family um, that had that background itself, for a lot of people growing up Catholic is so much about identity more than it is about doctrine. And so for a lot of people, you know, they, they almost feel like, well, to to really embrace Jesus and, and maybe even listen to Bible teachings, you know, from Protestant churches, that is uh, to deny not just uh, the Catholic Church. It's more about denying their family and their ancestry and, you know, their own mothers and grandmothers and fathers, etc. And I think that what we want to do is we want to take away that barrier for these people and say, look, um, here's what it means, Grandma, to be a Christian. It, it means to follow Jesus. It means to trust in Jesus for your salvation and not in your own good works. And so I would kind of just say, start with where grandma's at. Don't make the uh, church affiliation a barrier for the gospel, but try and use it as a bridge to the gospel, what she already believes and what she already accepts. So I, I would encourage you to go with your grandma and you know, celebrate Jesus and sure. point her to good doctrine and use those things you have in common already as bridges over the things where you perhaps would say this is not biblical. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, that sounds good. You laid it down. I appreciate it. God bless and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Thank you for being here for us all. Oh, God bless you, Rudy. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. 
Hey, listening to Calvary Live, this is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts on the air. Last show of the year uh, for Calvary Live, last live show. So we'd love to hear from you, 303-690-3000. You know, one of the, one of the things that we often experience, I, I was a missionary in Hungary, uh, as some of you who listen regularly might know. For 10 years, I was a missionary in Hungary, and majority of the population in Hungary is Catholic, and I lived in a city which was majority Catholic. And we were a Protestant church in a Catholic city where almost 100% of the population in that city was Roman Catholic. And what we learned to do was that um, for for many of these people, whether they call themselves Catholic or whether they call themselves atheist or whether, you know, whatever their affiliation is, it didn't necessarily affect what they believed. So for so many people, especially in Europe, um, you know, church affiliation, whether you're Catholic or Protestant, etc., is almost on the par with nationality and national identity, um, more so than it is on what you believe in your heart and what you live out in your life. And so that was a big thing that we would do is, you know, people would say, hey, you know, well, I'm Catholic. And I'd say, well, okay, hey, let's, let's be Christians and let's talk about what it means to follow Jesus and be a Christian. So we want to use those things as bridges for the gospel, I think. So, Rudy, great question, and I pray that you're, God would use you this Christmas season with your family. Let's go to our next caller, Felicia in Parker, Colorado. Hi, Felicia. Welcome to the program. Hi, Pastor. Thank you so much. How are you? Doing great. Good. Um, my question is, I guess, a little confusing for me to ask. Um, maybe you'll understand what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Um, when we accept Christ, we're made right in our hearts with God. Um However, it, as you, know, you further read in Romans, there's, um, I guess, a process of edification is what it seems like I'm reading. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it you know, let your mind be transformed. Um, it's not conformed to this world. Um, let's see, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Mm-hmm. then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And I'm just, I'm curious <clears throat> because I've had some pushback um, from some fellow believers that basically were to leave it um, mm-hmm. only in the presence of grace, but then like almost as if like our behaviors are justified in that. Mm. Okay. I'm not sure I'm tracking with you, but let me let me just uh, ask you one question. So sure. what what I have here from, um, you know, I got like a brief description of what your question might be. It says, you know, should we be praying every day for the Holy Spirit to fill us, or should we just be content with Christ's sacrifice? Is that along the lines of what you're asking, or? That was or? like my the only thing I like could come out of my mouth when I was going to ask it, but um, yeah, I mean, like. It's an everyday process. I mean, I, because I feel like God continually working Mm -hmm. on me and continually revealing things and, um, like things are being sloughed off, so to speak, and new ways are coming about in, you know, in mine and my family's walk. Um, but it kind of threw me back for somebody to say that, Mm. um, because I believe in Christ, basically, I, I'm content in living yeah. in you know in such a way. Right. Okay. So I think I get where you're coming from. 
And here's here's the answer. And I think this actually applies to that question about the Holy Spirit as well. So maybe we can talk about both. I think they're, they're similar, but they're different. Okay, so we've talked about Christ's once-for-all sacrifice, right? And Christ's once-for-all sacrifice, what it does is it makes us righteous before God. So that when God looks at us, he sees us as if we are in Christ, which means he sees us as if we've never sinned, right? That's one of the things we always say. Justification means just as if I never sinned. That's how God sees you, right? Martin Luther summed up this um, this discussion you're, you're bringing about, or this issue. He used this word. He said, to be a Christian is to be at the same time. Uh, he called it justus et peccator, which means um, it means just or righteous and a sinner at the same time. You know, and what does that mean? It means that in God's eyes, let's say legally or officially, he sees us as justified. Our sins have been taken care of. They've been removed from us, cast as far as the east is from the west. And yet we do struggle with sin on a daily basis, right? And we're told to take those things off and put on the new man. Take off the old man and, and the sinful tendencies and put on the new man, like we're changing our clothes, so to say, right? We're told to flee youthful lusts, not to be satisfied in them and think that they're okay because, in other words, I don't need to put in any effort into my own sanctification because Jesus has already done it and his work is finished. So on the one hand, you know, these are two different things. So you could say ontologically, like who we are in our essence, our being before God, we are justified in Christ. And yet, we are being saved. This is one of the things I try to explain to people is that when the Bible talks about salvation, it talks about it in these terms. He says that um, we have been saved. So that's a completed, finished work in the past. We are being saved. That is an ongoing process that we're going through in the moment. And one day we will be saved. In other words, it's past, present, and future. Now, how does that work? Well, it's past in the sense that Jesus did it. It's done. We have been saved. And yet, this salvation is being worked out in our lives, and it requires some participation on our behalf, right? Fleeing youthful lusts, working out your salvation with fear and trembling, like Paul says in Philippians. And um, so, we, we want to not say, is it this or that? We want to say, yeah, it's both. And then one day in the future, it is going to be fulfilled in fullness. So, so it's an ongoing process in that way. Um, yeah, I had one more thought on this that's just slipped my mind, but I think I'm going <laughs> to remember it. But does this making sense to you? Yeah, uh, it's, I mean, this, I mean, that's kind of the walk of my experience is, you know, I'm saved, but your flesh is there. You're tempted daily. So what I'm, found especially just in these last few months is just because of some things that have happened personally my heart really jumped at clinging to the Lord like I realized I had come to a point where I just I couldn't spend a moment in my own thoughts um, without him because otherwise it was dangerous mm -hmm. and that I had like I had to ask for help from the Holy Spirit to you know to um basically remove me like these feelings from my flesh before they reach my heart or permeate my mind mm -hmm. yeah that sound, yeah so I mean, um 
I, I remember now what I was going to say to you. And my point is, is really this, and then I'll say what I wanted to say, but here, here's what it comes down to. So many people, the problem is that they try to oversimplify Christianity, right? They try to, in a way, you know, make it simple, which is great because it makes it clear. But a lot of times right. you lose the nuance, you lose the fullness, right? It's, it's right. not, uh, we, we shouldn't reduce it. There's so much that's going on. It's so good and it's holistic rather than simplistic. And right. so if we only focus on the ontological, right, Jesus has made me right with God. And we leave it there. We're missing out on so much more that God wants to do. And I would say this, that this process of sanctification, our part in it, is itself a joy. It is a joy to walk in that. And that brings me to the thing that I remembered now what I was going to say. Is that, um, you know, the story where Jesus encounters Zachariah or Zacchaeus I'm sorry Zacchaeus the short guy who climbs up the tree right he was a he was a swindler he was a tax collector he ripped people off for a living and here's what happens it says that Zacchaeus right climbs this tree because he wants to see Jesus and Jesus looks at him and he says Zacchaeus I'm coming to your house today and Zacchaeus says to Jesus I am going to give back everything that I've you know extorted people of right stolen from people and I'm going to give back four times of my wealth, right? Four times more of my wealth. So you can think about the rich young ruler. You remember that guy? And Jesus said, give everything that you have and come and follow me. And for him, his wealth was a barrier to following Jesus. But for Zacchaeus, Jesus didn't even have to tell him, right? Zacchaeus realized that those things were, that he had done were wrong. And not only that, his repentance showed itself in that he wanted to make restitution, now, that's kind of an aside. My main point is this. What does Jesus say after this? He says, truly, I say to you, salvation has come to this man today. Salvation has come to this man today. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean that on that day, he became justified before God because of his sins? I would argue no, because Jesus had not yet done his work on the cross and through his resurrection so that we could be made right with God. So in what sense has salvation come to this man today? Well, it means that salvation doesn't only have an eternal, ontological, let's say, aspect. It also has a temporal aspect that we get to live out. In other words, salvation has many temporal aspects. For, for this man, salvation included being set free from his worship, his idolizing, his bondage to money and wealth, and that idol idolizing of money and wealth drove him to do sinful things. In other words, his salvation, the aspect of salvation that Zacchaeus experienced in that moment was a, a temporal aspect. And what that tells me is that what is Paul saying in Philippians 2 when he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling? He's saying, don't just leave your salvation as, okay, God did this for me and now it's done and I don't need to think about it again until, I don't know, i backslide or something right no he's saying on a daily basis work out the salvation that you've received and work it in to every area of your life the way that you deal with money the way that you deal with people the way that you deal with things you know let that salvation be worked out in every area of your life in all these temporal ways you're experiencing aspects of the salvation that God wants to bring in your life, that that process of setting you free from idols, setting you th free from bondage, and setting you free to live the joyful life that Christ has given you to live. And a lot of times that joy comes about through letting go of things.
So I'll just leave that well, there. But let me totally let me talk. Answer my next question. <laughs> okay. Well, good because I want to answer this question which you may be asked about the Holy Spirit because it, it's something that I've talked about with a lot of people. And some people would say, hey, you know, they don't like this or that worship song, for example, or they don't like it when you know the pastor at church, you know, prays. God, fill us with your spirit because they say, hey, haven't we already been filled with the spirit? If we're already believers, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. So is should we really seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit once we've already become believers? And my answer to that is, again, the problem with you understanding this issue for the person who doesn't understand it is that you're 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 looking at it too simplistically, not holistically. And so what that means is this there are at least three relationships that the Holy Spirit has with people in the Bible. And so when we receive the Holy Spirit in us as a seal, which is what Ephesians and 1 Corinthians says, that, that when we put our trust in Jesus, he, His Spirit comes into us and takes up residence in us so that we belong to God. It's a seal that we are God's. And that is like the ontological filling of the Spirit, meaning you know, at our being, our core, who we are. But there's also a missiological aspect to being filled with the Spirit. So like, for example, in the Gospel of Luke, whenever it talks about being filled with the Spirit, it's a phrase that it uses a lot, as well as in Acts. That is not just a one-time thing. That's an ongoing thing. Like Paul says in Ephesians, he says, be filled with the Spirit. That's a continuous tense right there. He's saying, be being filled continually with the Spirit. And so the idea there is that we're filled with the Spirit not in order to belong to God, right? That's already happened once and for all in Jesus. But we seek to be filled with the Spirit in the anointing for mission ongoingly and for, for empowerment to live the life that he's called us to live. So praying daily is like, I mean, that. Am I, I guess, am I going about that wrong? I guess. Like, I know that Christ lives within me, but at this, you know, um, I don't, I mean, like I said, I'm, I'm daily moment, I mean, mo even moment by moment, uh, asking for that anointing, so to speak, so I can walk uh, what I can't do on my own. Correct. So there, again, there's two, there's two aspects of this that are important with the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is with all people, convicting them of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He is in those who are believers. And that doesn't ebb and flow, right? That's permanent. It's a seal. And then he is upon others, right, to empower us for mission. The only thing is that that isn't, um, the word upon isn't the only word that's used for speaking of anointing for mission it's also the word is also used for filling filling is used to describe anointing for mission and so we just remember these relationships and yes we want to be filled for mission and for living out the life that god has called us to do it's kind of like this we're forgiven in christ for our sins and yet jesus taught us to pray daily that god would forgive us of our sins well wait a second didn't hasn't god already forgiven us of our sins yes so we got to keep in mind all the time there are certain things that are fixed, they're done, they're finished, and we rest in those things. And yet we walk out daily this process, right? It's that idea of working out your salvation. So we live that out daily, confessing our sins to God, um, receiving grace. We, we, 
you know, seek his filling to empower us for mission. We need that daily. We're walking out and living out the salvation that he's given us once and for all through Jesus' finished work. Right. So I would say it's not one or the other. It's absolutely both. And that is clearly what we're taught in scripture. Okay. Well, cool. I appreciate, cause I mean, that completely clarified. I woke up and need to pray for clarity because I just want to make sure that as I'm reading, I'm, I am reading it wholly. I am understanding it to the, in its full context. And, yeah. um, you know, it's when you have multiple people, you know, within the church to be able to ask, but people have different perceptions. Sure. You know, it, it can be a little difficult, like, and I want to go back and make sure, Lord, am I understanding this correctly? Cool. <laughs> I have to let you go because we've come up on our break. But uh, thanks for the question. God bless you. And I'm going to let you go. You're listening to Calvary Live. We are going to be back in two minutes' time right after our mid-show break. Give us a call, 303-690-3000. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon and welcome back to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. I'm here with you today taking your calls and texts live on the air. This is a show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible or anything going on in your life that you'd like prayer for or you'd like to discuss we'd love to pray for you and hear from you and answer your questions the number to call is 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897 hey i want to remind you this is our final live show of 2019 and that means it's also our final live show of the decade so don't miss this opportunity give us a call today 303-690-3000. The text line, 720-336-0897. We've got one caller who's been waiting for a while, so let's go to him. We've got a couple open lines, so do give us a call, but let's go to our next caller, Jerry in Littleton. Hi, Jerry. Welcome to the program. Hi, Pastor. Thank you for answering my call. Yeah, thanks for holding. No problem. Uh, As we're going to celebrate Christmas in a day, my question is how... That the Christmas tree relate to Jesus' birth, especially the pine tree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the pine tree. A lot of people assume that this is a um, pagan thing, and um, there are some Bible verses that actually kind of allude to it. And so there's an idea, like in Job. Job talks about this that um, you know the pine tree was the people at pagan times would cut down a tree and they would decorate it and put it in their house. Um, Jeremiah, for example, talks about um, cutting down pieces of wood and they would use them uh, for pagan symbols. And all that really tells us is that evergreen trees um, have been used as symbols of eternal life throughout, um, throughout history and, and across cultures. Okay, so I wouldn't say that this is like a pagan thing that Christians have adopted as much as it is. This is a symbol which has been seen as a symbol of eternal life throughout the world and throughout history in different cultures. And um, 
you know, they, even in our English language, we use the word evergreen as meaning something that is constant, something that, um, something that is unfading. So there's that. But I think that here's the thing that Christians have um, used this, and it, it really comes from Europe. In Europe, they started using the Christmas tree. Um, it looks like it was um, something that happened in the Reformation. The Reformers started lighting candles on an evergreen tree, and then they started putting them in their own houses. So, you know, I think this is a lot like when it comes to stuff about Easter. There's a lot of, like, false history out there. You know, we call it fake news sometimes. And one of the big fake news things that I've heard, I even heard it on a podcast just last night, uh, somebody saying that, oh, well, don't you know that Easter eggs are pagan and the Easter bunny is pagan? And Easter, the word, comes from Ishtar. But none of those things are actually true, right? So there's so much fake news out there. And a lot of Christians, either they like balk at it, they don't know what to do with it because they, don't, they haven't actually studied up on the history. Okay, let me just give you Easter, then I'll give you a few things on Christmas real quick, and then I'll let you go. But with Easter, um, if you look into it, you find that Easter eggs were actually first used by German immigrants to the United States and the Easter Bunny, also used by German immigrants to the United States uh, in the area around Pennsylvania in the 1700s. And they were used, now just get this, they were used for fun, so that kids would have something to do, right? The egg thing, decorating of eggs, was because, um, especially during the Middle Ages, they, you know, Christians would practice a fast during the time of Lent. Some Christians still do that, right? You'll fast from chocolate, or some people fast from the internet, or TV, or whatever it might be. But back in the day, there used to be more rules around it. And so one of the rules that was very common, especially in the Eastern Church, was for the period of Lent, you were not allowed to eat eggs. And so at the end of Lent, people were able to eat eggs, and they would eat them on Easter because Easter is the end of Lent. And so what they would do is that a few days beforehand, they would start hard-boiling eggs so that they would preserve longer. And then they started decorating them they started hiding them because eggs were considered a treat because you hadn't had them for 40 days for lent so you would go and you'd find the eggs and they'd hide them for the kids and they made a game out of it and then they started decorating it and again the easter bunny was made up by germans in the 1700s just to have fun right so so a lot of these things you know talking about paganism is not even helpful because i doubt that there and, and even the word easter doesn't come from ishtar at all it comes from the german word for easter once again, so the ancient German word for Easter in our English language, which is a Germanic language. And there's so much of this is true about Christmas as well, right? So a lot of people say, oh, well, don't you know, you know, I read on the internet that uh, December 25th is Saturnalia, which is a pagan holiday. Well, that's only partially true. Saturnalia was actually before December 25th. It was like started on December 18th. Uh, and it was a Roman pagan holiday that took place at the time of the darkest period of the year. Here's another thing, though, that's really important to remember. That half of Christendom, right, meaning that you have the Western Church, which is Protestants and Roman Catholics, and you have the Eastern Church, which is the Orthodox churches of Eastern Europe and Africa and Asia. And these churches actually celebrate Christmas on January 8th. So... January 8th isn't, um, you know, a pagan holiday, but it's still in the winter. So where did this come from? Well, the fact is that the practice of celebrating Christmas in at the end of December or during the darkest period of the year, it came about because we don't know when Jesus was born. We, we know 
the year, roughly, because Luke chapter 3, verse 1 tells us that Jesus began his ministry at age 30 during the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. So we can do the math. We can figure out that that was roughly around the year zero. That's how the ancient people, you know, figured out how we got our ADBC divide based on the time of Jesus' birth. But uh, that that's just to say that... Um, the reason why the date of Christmas was chosen to be at the end of the year or really at the darkest period of the year in the northern hemisphere is because it's symbolic, right? And so much symbolism around this. For example, in Luke chapter 1, um, we read the prophecy of Zechariah and Zechariah compares the coming of Jesus into the world as the dawning of a new day. He says the sunrise I'll put it this way, the tender mercy of our God, by, whereby the sunrise has visited us from on high to give light to those who are in darkness in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. So the early church fathers, wanting a time to celebrate the birth of Jesus in the church calendar, not knowing when exactly he was born. And by the way, he was probably born um, sometime between March and September, just because we know that there was a Roman census at that time, which would never happen during winter because the roads were all dirt and you wouldn't want people traveling around your empire, ruining your roads all winter long. And so the other reason is because the shepherds were out in the fields by night. So we know they would never do that in the winter. So certainly Jesus was born sometime between March and September. And so the reason that we chose to celebrate towards the end of you know, the darkest period in the Northern Hemisphere is because it's so symbolic. Jesus is coming represents from this moment on, it's a new day dawning. And like the dawn, it gets brighter and brighter and brighter until the new day comes. These are biblical symbols, right? He came to a world that was in darkness and he came to be the light of life. And so we chose the time of the year, early church fathers chose the time of the year in which, um, in which that was seen, experienced by all people, at least in the Northern Hemisphere. I don't know what those guys in Australia do. You know, that's like the brightest time of the year. They probably give it a different symbolism. But in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus begins his ministry, he quotes from Isaiah the prophet, and he says this, The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, upon them a light has dawned. So this is where we get the whole timing of Christmas is it's symbolic, it's um, historical. And so we, we, I don't think we need to fear, you know, any supposed pagan associations with these dates or even with uh, the practice of the Christmas tree. Again, that, that's, it, that's a symbol which for a long time has been associated with, um, with eternal life. And so it was adopted, um, again, the lighting of it. We know that took place in Germany during the Reformation. And so I don't think we need to fear these things, any pagan uh, associations that might go with them. Because here's the thing. Those who say, hey, you know, this is like a pagan thing. I'm curious what their point is. Because are they saying that um, we are kind of inadvertently or accidentally affirming paganism? Because I'm certainly not, you know. I, I think that I'm capable of saying, when I celebrate Christmas, when I put lights on a tree in my house, I'm not in any way inadvertently worshiping pagan things or 
condoning pagan things. I'm celebrating Jesus and his coming into the world as the light of the world into a land of great darkness. So I, I hope that answers the question for you. It, it clarifies. Okay. Good. Well, I, I Thank you. Yeah. God bless you and have a great Christmas. Merry Christmas. Okay. Bye-bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. And hey, before we go to our next caller, I want to extend an invitation to you. If you don't have a place to celebrate Christmas Eve and you live in or around Longmont within driving distance, we would love it if you would come and worship with us. We have two services tomorrow, which is Christmas Eve, tomorrow night, December 24th. And those services are going to be at 5 o'clock p.m. and 6.30 p.m. respectively. Our address is 700 Longs Peak Avenue in Longmont. And you can also find directions and more information on our website, whitefieldschurch.com. That's whitefieldschurch.com. And we'd love to see you tomorrow, 5 o'clock and 6.30 p.m. Our sermon is going to be really themed on what we just talked about, which is the coming of Jesus into the world during the darkest period to be the light of the world and the light of life for us. So let's go to our next caller, uh, Valeria, or Valeria in Parker. Hi, welcome yes. to the program. Hi, thank you so much. <laughs> How are you today? I'm doing great. Awesome, awesome. Um, I'm calling because I've had this question and I've been meaning to call in and ask it. Um, just life gets in the way sometimes, but um, in the Bible... I know that there's so many promises that we can find that God makes to His people. And I constantly have heard, you know, I didn't grow up in church, but um, once I was baptized at 19, and, you know, from there on, I constantly hear people telling me, you know, or talking about God's promises for them, you know. And to me, it's always been like, well, how do you know what God you know, I, I know specifically some things that can apply to everybody, but like specifically, like, you know, people will say, God promised me this house, you know, mm-hmm. or God wants me to have this car. Yeah, I don't know, you know, stuff like that. Or God promised me children. And then, you know, I, I just don't understand how um, I can personalize that, you know, like there's some things that God promised to all of us for sure, like salvation and um, I'm sure I can think of other things, but do you understand my question? Yes, absolutely. And I think it's a very good question. Um, I think that um, you're you're touching on something which I think some people can get very frustrated about. And, uh, and I think that people who are not Christians can sometimes look at it and say, hey, you know, you're kind of making up your own rules here <laughs> in a way, right? So I'll explain. Just that what, what you're saying is that you know, it, it becomes an issue of biblical interpretation and application. And these are very important things. And I don't know if you realize this, but anytime you read the Bible, you are interpreting and applying. Even if you say, hey, this doesn't apply to me, you know, you're still thinking through that process of you're interpreting what this means for them and what it means for me. Anytime you read, that's the process of um of interpretation and it's very important and if, and it's it's much more complicated than i think a lot of people realize there's a lot more going on you know so for the person who says hey i just read the bible and believes what it says well no you don't right none of us 
just simply read the Bible. We all are interpreting whether we realize it or not. Now, you can interpret well or you can interpret poorly, and our goal should always be to interpret well. And there are tools and resources we can use to do that. Now, I do believe the Bible is given to us in a way that the average person with their average capabilities can read the Bible and for the most part understand what it says. But sometimes people go a little bit beyond that, right? And like you're saying, like there are promises in the Bible that apply to us, but there are also promises in the Bible that don't apply to us. And there are some others that apply to us in principle, not literally. So for example, if God says to the people of Israel, hey, I'm gonna give you all the land from the Euphrates to um, Egypt and the Mediterranean Sea. Well, that's a promise, but that's a promise that doesn't necessarily apply to me. And it would be a bit of a stretch for me to say that, well, that's a promise in the Bible, and therefore I believe that God is going to give to me, Nick Cady, all the land between the Euphrates and the Mediterranean Sea. It's kind of what you're, you're speaking of, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so... Um, this is, you know, very complicated uh, topic. I know a guy right now who's doing his master's in biblical interpretation. So it's, uh, it's not like a really simple thing, but I can give you some principles to follow. And I'll give you a book that I think is worth its weight in gold. I think that everybody should read this book because it's really written on like a every person's level, you know, so you don't have to be like a scholar who studies theology in school to... Um, to understand it and it really brings it down to our level and it is called how to read the bible for all it's worth how to read the bible for all it's worth and uh, if anybody is listening and wants me to text you a link just text us and i'll text you the link right back it's 720-336-0897 is our text line and i can text you a link but it's called how to read the bible for all it's worth and he really uh, lays out this idea of how um how biblical interpretation works. And I'm trying to remember who the author is. I'm pulling it up right now. Yeah, Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart wrote this book, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. And I would say even just the first chapter of that book, if you don't read the whole thing, read the first chapter. We try to have almost everybody in our church who teaches or serves in any way read that chapter because he explains kind of the fundamentals, the nuts and bolts of of biblical interpretation. But I'd say it, it kind of comes down, if I was going to really simplify it, to two things. You want to ask the question, how does this apply? How did this apply to the original readers? What was the intent and purpose? Uh, and what would they have understood when they read this? Secondly, how does this apply to me? Right? So it's pretty simple. So what did it mean for them? And we remember that that's always primary, right? That's always, it was written in a historical time for people. And it was written to them about things they were experiencing, going through, and struggling with. So what is the meaning for them? And then the next thing we want to do is, okay, how does this then apply to me? In some cases, it's going to apply in principle. In other cases, it will apply literally. And we, we need to use our reasoning to figure that out. But we also use the rest of the Bible, right? So we want to compare to the rest of the Bible and understand we want to understand things like genre the genre of that particular book of scripture who it was written to um you know and then how does the rest of the bible mm -hmm. use those passages okay. there, there's some interesting um examples of this in the bible where we can see where there are passages in the bible that in the bible itself are interpreted in more than one way but the 
literal way, right, the way that the original readers would have read it and accepted it, is always primary. Anything that comes after that becomes secondary. So when we're reading the Old Testament and it says that God is making a promise to Israel that he's going to do this or that, um, we need to remember, first of all, that was a promise to Israel. And then we can go on beyond that and ask the next question. Well, is this a promise that applied to them specifically only at that time? Is there a principle embedded in this promise, which is also true for me? So I'll give you an example. In Isaiah 42, for example, God says to the mm -hmm. people of Israel, Hey, I want you to not fear because I am with you. And though you walk through difficult things and deep waters, I will be with you and I will hold your hand. What's he talking to them about? He's talking to them about specifically how he is going to see them through the Babylonian exile. Mm -hmm. Did he right. do that? Okay. Yes, he did do yeah. that. You were talking about when like Moses split the sea? No, I'm talking about in Isaiah 42. God, Isaiah is speaking, you know, from God to the people of Israel. Mm -hmm. And he's saying, I will be with you and I will hold your hand. Though you walk through deep waters, I will be with you. And he's saying, don't be afraid and don't be dismayed. Well, now what's he talking about? Specifically, that is referring to a time in Israel's history when they were taken into exile in Babylon. Jerusalem was destroyed. The Babylonians came in. They killed a lot of people. They destroyed Jerusalem and they took most of the people with them to Babylon where those people lived as slaves and exiles. Wow. Okay. And he says to them at that time, don't be dismayed. Don't, don't fear because I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to, you know, restore your nation and I'm going to take you through this as individuals and as a people. Okay. So that's the immediate context. That's the immediate promise. It was a promise to them that God was not going to forsake them in the midst of the exile. And therefore they didn't need to be afraid. Now, is there a principle embedded in that that applies to us? I would say yes. As the people of God who have been adopted into God's family through Jesus, we too can take hold of that promise and say that I may not be going through a Babylonian exile, but I might be going through something very difficult. And in the midst of whatever I'm going through, I can know that God will hold my hand and walk with me and I will hold his hand and walk with him no matter how deep the waters get, so to say. Okay. So, so all that to say, we need to remember the historical interpretation, the immediate interpretation is always the primary. Now, beyond that, there can be other applications. And oftentimes there are principles within those promises which do apply to us. So let's go back to this idea of, you know, God promised land, for example, to the people of Israel at a particular time. I'm going to give you everything from the Euphrates River to the Mediterranean Sea. Okay, does that apply mm -hmm. to me? Well, that probably doesn't apply to me personally. <laughs> and um, does it apply to Israel? Well, yes, that, that's a promise that he made to Israel at a particular time. And he hasn't revoked it. So that's his promise to them. Now, is there a principle embedded in that? Well, yeah, there's a principle embedded that God keeps his promises. So if God has made a promise to me, and there are a ton of them in the New Testament, for example, you know, that in Christ I am truly forgiven, I'm truly redeemed, no matter how I feel about it. He is going to see me through this life. He won't let me be tested beyond what is normal for people, and he'll give me the strength to stand under it. Uh, these are principles, these are promises in the New Testament that do apply to Christians. And I can look at that and I can say, well, based on that other 
promise, I can see that the other promise um, didn't apply to me directly, but yet there's a principle in it that God keeps his promises. And therefore, right. since he kept that promise, I know that he'll keep this promise. Okay, that makes total sense. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, it's a yeah. very, very complicated thing. It's also a very good thing to look into, and it will really, really benefit you as you read the Bible. So yeah. I encourage you to get this book, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth, and start getting into this idea as well as some tools for how to read the Bible and how to apply it to your life appropriately and not inappropriately, as some people do. I see. And what would you say about those people that, like, they they have very specific promises, you know, like, um, you know, oh, God is telling me to stay here at this church, or, or God told me that, you know, I mm. will have a house in like one year, or God told me that I'm going to be healed. You know, all of that, all of those things, because there's times that we aren't healed, we don't get that house, yeah. and maybe you need to leave that church, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I, how would they specifically know that. I know that you have to like go back to the Bible to see if what you think God promised you is in, you know, in line with scripture and, you know, everything, if, you know, if I'm saying God promised me something ridiculous that, you know, is a sin or something, you, you know, that doesn't line okay. up with the Bible and that would be incorrect. But Oh yeah. I hear people things... say that all the time. Like as a pastor, I'll be like, well, I know that, um, you know, having this adulterous relationship is, you know, bad and against the Bible, but God told me it's okay. And I'm like, what? I don't think he did because that's <laughs> not how it like works. That. Yeah. So, um, yeah, here's the thing about that. For a lot of people, they will use that as kind of carte blanche, right? That they can say or do whatever they want. And God told them, and you can't question it because who are you to question their, you know, quote unquote, personal relationship with God. Now, I will mm -hmm. say this, there is precedent for these kinds of things in the Bible. So, for example, in Acts chapter 8, Philip goes to, um, he goes out to the desert. So the Holy Spirit takes him out to the desert, and then the Holy Spirit tells him to go up to this chariot and talk to this guy about Jesus. Now, of course, all yeah. of these things are totally in line with God's will, right? Like, does God want us to talk to people about the gospel? Well, yeah, he said that pretty clearly. So, that would totally align with his will. Now, right. with other things, we have to balance this. And, and Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians I, 1 Corinthians 5, which I think is really important. And it really is something where we want to encourage people to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and to say, okay, what is God showing you personally? We remember that's never going to contradict the Bible, but that does leave a lot of things open. Right. And so right. here's what he says. He says, you know, don't quench the spirit. Don't despise prophecies. Prophecy is when you believe that you have a word directly from God. Right. But mm -hmm. test everything and hold fast to what is good. So we want to just test things. So if I tell you, hey, God told me that you're going to do this or you should do this. You should say, OK, well, I'm going to I'm going to pray about that, too. I'm going to kind of put that on the shelf and remember it. And I'm going to see if maybe God confirms that in some other way. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of this that is um, intangible. And yeah, there's a lot of room for people to manipulate and people to do things that we would probably say are wrong and uh, inappropriate. And yet Paul mm -hmm. tells us it's worth the risk. It's worth the risk of somebody saying, well, God told me to do this. And you're like, well, I'm not so sure. Right. It does also mean that we should be able to have that conversation. 
in Acts chapter 20 and 21, there's this interesting thing where Paul is convinced that God has told him to go to Jerusalem to preach the gospel. Mm -hmm. And then some other guy, a prophet, now check this out, a prophet named Agabus comes up and he's like, I don't know, bro, I don't think you should go and do that. And it says that some other people told him not to go and he, they told him by the spirit not to go. That's weird, right? Because yeah. Paul's convinced that the spirit told him to go. These people are telling him by the spirit not to go. So what happens? What happens is they have this dialogue between them. And, and I believe that's really important. So if you tell me, God told me by this house, then what you should do, according to Acts 20 and 21, you should welcome some pushback, right? Where we can have a conversation and say, did God really say that? Um, mm -hmm. Let's discuss it. And at the end of the day, together, you know, in community with other Christians, also filled with the Spirit people, we can come together, we can search the Word, we can look for the principles, and we can seek the Lord together and hopefully arrive at the right conclusion as the Spirit leads us. But yeah, you're right. There isn't aspect of this it's kind of willy-nilly right like you can't the holy yeah. spirit is not in a box we can't just he goes wherever he wants wherever the wind blows and yet yeah. we really really got to watch out for people who use this um in a in an inappropriate way or who they think that god you know talks all the time right like um and is telling them to do stuff all the time when you're like well actually i think that's probably just you want to do that and you're trying to legitimize it by saying that god told you to do it so I have to let you go. Thank you for the great discussion. God bless you. Hey, want to wish everyone out there a Merry Christmas. Get to church tomorrow for a Christmas Eve service. We'd love to have you at Whitefields. Check us out online, whitefieldschurch.com. And I will be with you again in the new year. God bless you. You've been listening to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and God's word.